0: Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Did you know that uh, there is a battle going on? There's a battle going on for your heart. God loves you so much, and he's done so much to, to connect with all of us and to provide a way to reconnect with him in spite of the sin that we've committed and all that. Uh, but Satan is still active and alive and well and doing everything he can to distract us from becoming centered and and secure and faithful and all the things that God wants for us that we really want to, uh, but it 's easy to get distracted now we're we 're in the the book of judges, and uh, i 've mentioned this a couple of times before. I think this is one of the most amazing uh, correlations that we have with the Old Testament and modern day um, and so I want to invite you to open your bibles to to judges and we 're going to be in chapter eight the end of chapter 8 today, and go all the way through 10, uh, verse 5. And it's a it's a lot of scripture. It's mainly a story. It's a narrative about the next judge. Now, what's interesting about how this is different than uh, what we've seen so far, remember, uh, Gideon was chosen to be the next judge, and we went through that whole story last week. And now, uh, at the end of Gideon's life, he dies, and um, there is... Someone who rises up in verse 33, it says, as soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, uh, making Baal birth their God. They forgot the Lord, their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them, nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that's Gideon, despite all the good that he had done for Israel. So that's closing the chapter on Gideon, and what we see is what's happened before time and time and time again that this this cycle that seems to be relentless, and that is that the judge that God chooses to set the people back on the path of worshiping the one true God, and God sets them free from the from the foreign oppressors and, and he, he sets things right, but as soon as that judge passes the scene, people they lose their direction. There's not a voice calling them back to worshiping the one true God. So something very interesting happens this time, which hasn't happened yet. Um, Every other leader that has been chosen to be the judge of Israel um, was chosen by God, selected by God, raised out, and God calls that person this Doesn't happen this time. Instead, Abimelech, who was the son of the concubine from Shechem, the foreign country, he steps up. Now remember, Gideon had 70 sons. He was busy, okay? Uh, (laughs) 70 sons. And the last one here, Abimelech, uh, he is... Kind of feeling on the outside, because he's really kind of kind of a half Israel, half home base Shechem kind of a thing here. And so uh, he, it says, he actually grasps this opportunity, and he wants to rule Israel like a king. Now remember, Gideon was asked to be the king of Israel... And he said, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to be your king. I'm just I'm just a, a judge appointed by God. But what happened? Remember, he asked a tribute from everybody. He received all this gold and he made this gold ephod. He put it in his hometown and redirected uh, the, the whole nation of Israel from the, the authentic place of worship to his own place of worship, right? So he acted like a king and then he got a bunch of wives, just like kings did, making making concessions with all the other surrounding territories. And he then finally does it with a foreign country and has Abimelech as his son. And he now has this son who recognizes that that his home country has a king. And old dad Gideon was acting like a king. Well, he wants to be a real king. So that's the backdrop. That's the backdrop. Now let's go to chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, One day Gideon's son Abimelech went to Shechem to visit his uncles. This is the other side of the family, right? The foreign side of the family. His mother and her brothers, it says. And he said to them, to the rest rest of his, his mother's family, Ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And remember... I'm your flesh and blood. Just kind of putting it out there. All right? Putting it out there. So verse 3 says, So Abimelech's uncles gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. And after listening to this proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. They gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of Baal-berth. So here, now... See what's happening? So he goes to the foreigners, not the Israelite camp, goes to the foreigners and he says, I want to be your king. You don't want, you don't want the Israelites to rule over you. you. You want your own people here. I'm on your side. And see, the next thing that happens is they support his campaign with money that was given to a false god. Right? Right? And so th- this is, this is the beginning of the apostasy that we see happening. And so then now, this is just terrible. They gave him these, these 70, uh, s- silver coins, right? And then he uses them to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. You see what's happening here? He just hired a bunch of thugs to be his hitmen, right? And then he says this, he says, he went to his father's home at Ophrah and there on one stone, they killed all of his half brothers, all 70 of them, the sons of Gideon, but the youngest brother, Jotham escaped and he hid. And then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak beside the pillar of Shechem and made Abimelech their king. What an atrocity. This is just amazing that Abimelech has the courage to go home and kill all of his brothers. Wow, what a scene that must have been, right? You know, the question here as we read this story is what, what, are people willing to do in order to get what they want? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we we willing to do anything to get what we want? Now, hopefully we don't do something as as heinous as, as Abimelech has done here. But, you know, the question is, do we step outside the boundaries of God's direction for us in order to get what we want? right we'll talk more about that in just a little bit but here Jotham uh Jotham becomes the voice of God it's really interesting here because the name Abimelech means my father my earthly father is the king and the name of Jotham actually means the Lord Yahweh is perfect and blameless see the juxtaposition here so Verse seven goes on. It says, when Jotham heard about this, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, listen to me if you want God to listen to you. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused. Are you getting the parallel here? He's telling a story about something real that's happening, but he has it kind of in in story form. So this olive tree refused, he's talking about Gideon, saying, should I quit producing olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? And then they said to the fig tree, you be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? And then they said to the grapevine, you be our king. But the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing wine that cheers both God and people? Just to wave back and forth over the trees? And then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush and said, Come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied to the trees, If you truly want to make me your king, come and take shelter in my shade. That's the shade of the thorn bush, right? If not, let fire come out from me and devour all the cedars of Lebanon. So Jotham continues, he says, Now... Make sure you have acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech your king. It's a question for the the masses. And he says, And that you have done right by Gideon and all his descendants. Have you treated him with the honor he deserves for all he accomplished for you? For he fought for you and risked his life when he rescued you from the Midianites. But today... You have revolted against my father and his descendants, killing all seventy of his sons on one stone. You've chosen his slave woman's son Abimelech to be your king just because he is your relative. If you've acted honorably and in good faith, this is kind of like duh, you haven't, right? Uh, He says. Then he goes on. He says, "In his descendants today, may you find joy in Abimelech, and may you find may he find joy in you. But if." you have not acted in good faith, which is obvious. Then may fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and may fire come out from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Then Jotham escaped and he lived in Beer uh, because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Now what's happened here is, a bit, is uh, Jotham has basically made a prophecy. He's told the story and he's laid it out there and said, you people wanted someone to be your king. These were the judges prior. And Gideon basically said, I don't want to be your king. And the judges before that didn't take a position of king. They were the judges that were appointed by God. Now he's saying, oh, but you go to the thorn bush. You go to Abimelech. And you ask him to be your king. And if you've acted in good faith, great. You love him, he'll love you. It's all peachy. But if you haven't acted in good faith, what's going to happen? Well, what goes around comes around. And there is a, there's this natural cause and effect of, of, you don't do things God's way. There's going to be a result and it, it may not be pretty. They use this term here, bad faith and good faith, right? Bad faith is simply uh, put it's believing in something that isn't good. Right? You're putting faith is, is only good if the object of your faith is good. So when we put our faith in somebody like Abimelech, right, he's a bad guy. So that's bad faith. If we put our faith in anything but the object of our faith being the good thing in this sense for us, it's Jesus, right? If we don't put our faith in Jesus and we put our faith in something else like position, power, intelligence, money, whatever it might be. Put our faith in another person because we think they will get done what we want them to do. I mean, your mind probably drifts to politics, right? We want that person to to fulfill our agenda, and yet that person may be an evil person. We compromise and we select someone that isn't a good person, but he can get done what we want. You'll have to play that out in your mind, right? But the bottom line here is: who do you trust? Do we trust God Will we trust the things that men put their faith in, including other people, right? Who may not have God's interest in mind. So good faith is actually believing in what God wants for you. Here is a situation in Scripture where Abimelech says, I'm the guy. I can lead you better than you can ever imagine. I'll be your king, right? And yet God didn't appoint him. God didn't choose him. We'll see what happens later. But go back to the story. Verse 22 says, After Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years, God sent a spirit that stirred up trouble between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem. And they revolted. God was punishing Abimelech for murdering Gideon's 70 sons and the citizens of Shechem for supporting him in this treachery of murdering his brothers. You see, God seems sometimes silent. Here we have a scenario where there's three years that go on. And it seems like everything's fine. He rules over Israel, and yet God was stirring things up. Sometimes when we don't think God is at work, He is. He is. And sometimes it's in that silence. And sometimes it's in the suffering. When we cry out to God for relief and it doesn't seem to be coming, and yet God is working behind the scenes. And things have to be made just right for the the things that God wants to happen to happen. And sometimes that's in our own hearts. Sometimes we have to get so low that we realize, oh, I'm putting my faith in the wrong thing. And he has to redirect us. And so now we're at that point where God does this for a whole nation. Verse 25 says, The citizens of Shechem set out an ambush for Abimelech on the hilltops and robbed everyone who passed that way. But someone warned Abimelech about their plot. And one day, Gal, son of Ebed, moved to Shechem with his brothers and gained the confidence of the leading citizens of Shechem. So during the annual harvest festival at Shechem, held in the temple of a local god, the wine flows freely and everyone began cursing Abimelech. It's interesting how wine has this way of kind of loosening the tongue, you know. And so these guys, they basically start to get drunk and then they start pouring out what they're really thinking of Abimelech. All right. And so it all of a sudden becomes public that Abimelech is not the favorite guy anymore. All right. If he ever was. And so, and so then, it says that, who, who was Abimelech? Gaul shouted. Now, I wonder if this is where, you know, that, that phrase comes, you got a lot of gall. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) okay. You you know, you do something that nobody else would ever think of doing. It's like, eh, maybe this is it. I don't know. Okay, moving on. He is not the true son of Shechem, so why should we be his servant? He is merely the son of Gideon, and Zebul is merely his deputy. Serve the true sons of Hamor and founder of Shechem. Why should we serve Abimelech? If I were in charge... Okay, here we go. If I were in charge, I would get rid of Abimelech. See what's happening here? I mean, you... you, You choose this guy, and he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We're all in favor. Yes! Okay? And then all of a sudden, three years later, you're going like, Yeah, you put me in charge, and everything will be fine. Right? It's amazing how fast we shift loyalty when we think someone is not going the direction that we want them to go. And we change horses right in the middle of the stream, and suddenly we're behind this guy or that girl or whoever. Right? And so now, Gaul has a lot of Gaul, and he puts himself forward, and he would say, and uh, this is great, okay, verse 29. If I were in charge here, I would get rid of Abimelech. I would say to him, get some soldiers and come out and fight. But when Zebul, the leader of the city, heard what Gaul was saying, he was furious. So everybody's getting mad here. He sends messengers to Abimelech in Arma, and telling him, Gal, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to live in Shechem, and now they're inciting the city to rebel against you. Come by night with an army and hide out in the fields, and in the morning, as soon as it's daylight, attack the city. And when Gaul and those who are with him come out against you, you can do with them as you wish. So Abimelech and all his men went by night and split into four groups, stationing themselves around Shechem. And Gaul, standing in the city gates where when Abimelech and his army came out of hiding. And when Gaul saw them, he said to Zebul, Look, there are people coming down from the hilltops. And Zebul replies to him, It's just the shadows on the hills that look like people. Uh, But again, Gaul said, No, people are coming down from those hills. And another group is coming down from the road past the Diviner's Oak. And so then Zebul turns on him and says, Now where is that big mouth of yours? You see what just happened? So, so Gaul says, ah, Abimelech, he's nothing. I'll, I'll fight him. Get, get get out of here, you know. And so then some guy who's on Abimelech's team goes, tells Abimelech, Abimelech pulls his guys together and they're going to have an ambush. And so then the, I mean, it's a big, huge fracas. Okay. I love that word fracas. Okay. Anyway. So now everything is coming apart at the seams, right? This is just an amazing story. Then Zebul turns and says, where's your big mouth now? And and then wasn't it you that said, who's Abimelech? and, And why should we be his servants? The men you mocked are right outside the city. So go out and fight them. So Gaul led the leading citizens of Shechem into battle against Abimelech. So here we go. But Abimelech chased him and many of Shechem's men were wounded and fell along the road. As they retreated uh, to the city gate. So then Abimelech returns to Arma, and Zebul drove Gaul and his brothers out of Shechem. And then the next day, the people of Shechem went out into the fields to battle. And when Shechem heard about it, uh, when Abimelech heard about it, he divided his men into three groups, set an ambush in the field, and when Abimelech saw the people coming out of the city, he and his men jumped up from their hiding places and attacked them. Now, Abimelech and his group stormed the city gate to keep the men of Shechem from getting back in. While Abimelech's other two groups cut, down, cut, uh, cut them down in the fields. And the battle went on all day before Abimelech finally captured the city. And then he killed the people, leveled the city, and scattered salt all over the ground. That was basically to destroy the, the ground so they couldn't grow any crops. This guy's just, just evil, right? So, this is, this, now think about this. Abimelech is basically, he went to his, this foreign country that were his, his people, says, be on my team. He, he rules over them for three years. So, such a bad leader that they rebel against him. They have a big fight and now he's destroying his own land. I mean, this guy is just totally out of control. Now, verse forty-six says, when the leading citizens who lived in the tower of Shechem heard what had happened, they ran and they hid in the temple of Baal Berith. And someone reported to Abimelech that the citizens had gathered there, so he led his forces to Mount Zalmon and he took an axe and he chopped some branches from a tree. He puts them on his shoulder and he says, "Quick, do what I've done." So each of them cut down some branches following Abimelech's example. Then they piled the branches against the walls of the temple and set them on fire. So all the people who lived in the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. And then it says that Abimelech attacked the town of Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower inside the town and all the men and the women went there. Uh, The entire population fled to it, it said. They barricaded themselves in. They climbed up to the roof tower. And then Abimelech follows them to attack the tower. But as he prepared to set fire to the entrance a woman, get this, a woman on the roof dropped a millstone that landed on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. But it didn't kill him. Didn't kill him yet, right? Okay. So then, I love this. So then he quickly says to his young armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me because I don't want it to be said that a woman killed Abimelech. Wow, what a story. This is just crazy. So the young man ran him through with his sword and he died. I like—I always like that. They just kind of got to tell you, and he died. You know, (laughs) he just had a millstone dropped on his head and a sword run through his stomach and he died. Okay, we know that. All right, we know it. So when Abimelech's men saw that he was dead, they disbanded and returned to their homes in this way. God punished Abimelech for the evil he had done against his father by murdering his 70 brothers. And God also punished the men of Shechem for all of their evil. So the curse of Jotham's son of Gideon was fulfilled. Wow. Wow. I mean, you just got to say, wow, what a story. And you wonder of all the evil in the world. And sometimes I sit back and I think, um, is Is God thinking on this right now? Is he doing anything? Is he active? Well, it seems to indicate here that God not only knew what was going on but he, he let things play out in such a way that the evil that was perpetrated kind of had its own life, and we see what happens when men try to grasp control, when they try to to raise themselves up to be the leader, to be so powerful. You know, this has some implications for us as a church because we're in a position right now where we are looking for the next leader of Bethany Church. And we can be so tempted, so tempted to be looking for that bright shining star Somebody who from the worldly perspective has it all together they got the right education they got the they're the right age they they're good looking you know they, they've got the funny stories they tell whatever they you know whatever you have in your mind as to who the perfect leader's going to be you might be tempted to drift that direction and we as a as a as a group of people that that you've selected to be the leaders who kind of Look for that next leader. I want you to know that, that they take it seriously. And they're being very prayerful and methodical about one thing. About making sure that this person is the one that God is calling to be our leader. And the one that has a heart for, for God. They might, might not be the best most eloquent speaker. They might not be tall and handsome. They, they may not have the level of education that, that we think is, has to be had. But one thing that they want of all things is to look into the scripture and to see the kind of leader that God wants to lead his people, right? That's the most important thing. That we are sure, all of us sure, that God is putting it on someone's heart to love God's people. Specifically you. And we need to make that our prayer. That we don't get sidetracked by, by, by worldly things that look shiny and, and, and look fun or whatever. We want God's person that He's choosing to be the next leader, right? And so I'm so grateful to be a part of a group that has that in focus, has that in focus. And so we're still praying, we're still looking. Well, you know, it's interesting here about this period of time when Abimelech ruled and so much evil took place um, that although God is not recognized or worship, he is at work. He's at work. There are a few people who still believe that God was in charge. Romans 1-8 says this, as God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I have a couple of takeaways here. You know, what, what, what do we know now about God's judgment? What, what does this story really teach us? Well, number one, it teaches us that God is the judge. God is the judge. You know, so many people had so many things to say. Well, if I was the king, I would do this. Or, you know, he is just full of baloney. And, and if you followed me, right? But ultimately, God is the one who is the judge, who calls out the ones that he wants to, to be his representatives as the judges for his people. He judges the living. He judges the dead. Um, his judgment Largely goes unrecognized in the world, but God is still at work. The second thing that I see here in this story is that God's judgment happens at the right time. You know, we want God to act now. Come on, God, get busy. You know, let, let, Let's take this guy out. I mean, he's causing havoc around the world. He's got his, he's got his finger on the nuclear bomb. Can't you do something, God, now? And yet God is at work and we have to trust in the one true God who is the judge and that his judgment is going to happen at the right time. It took three years to remove Abimelech, but boy, when he was removed, he was removed, right? I mean, God did it his way. The third thing I see there is that God's judgment often comes through the natural result of human sin being played out. Right. I mean, there is a consequence for living, acting the way that God doesn't want us to live or act. It it comes back at us. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced that in my life when I've made bad choices or or done things that I knew were not within the will and the the scope of what God wanted me to do or how he wanted me to act. It's come back so many times. Right? So God has this way of using our our own sin to, to really judge us. And the last thing that I see there, it's very encouraging to me, is that God is still merciful and he's full of grace. Because we see right now in the scripture, if you go to verse chapter 10, verse 1, what happens? After Abimelech died, Tola son of Pua, son of Dodo, was the next person to rescue Israel. And he was from the tribe of Issachar. He lived in the town of Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel for 23 years. And when he died, he was buried at Shamir. That's all all all, all it says about him. That's all it says. But the point here is that Tola was raised up by God to rescue Israel. And, and what's interesting about it is this. We sh- we see a shift now in judgment. All of the previous judges were raised up by God, chosen by God, to free the nation of Israel to judge them that they were wrong in allowing themselves to, to prostitute them with all these foreign gods. But also, there was always this little caveat that, that he was rescuing Israel from the influence and the control of other foreign powers and people who were worshiping other foreign gods. Now, we see that there is no other nation named as being the oppressor of the Israelites. You notice that? And there's no other, no other foreign power that is trying to control Israel Tola was raised up by God to rescue Israel, not from some foreign despot, but from Israel's own dysfunction. It's subtle, but I mean, it's been said that the church's worst enemy is the church itself. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy, and we need to be rescued from ourselves. Right, Because we get our our eyes off of God and what he wants us to do and how he wants us to be as people toward one another and toward him. And we need to be rescued from ourselves. And this is what's happening here. So God raises up Tola to rescue Israel from their own natural inclinations to drift away from being the people of God. And then in in verse 3, Tola dies. And then Jair from Gilead judged Israel for 22 more years. And his 30 sons rose rose around on 30 donkeys. (laughs) I love that. And they owned 30 towns in the land of Gilead, which they still call the towns of Jair. And then Jair died, and he was buried in Kaman. That's all it says. No big fancy stories, no wars. It's just... Sometimes there just needs to be one person who's raised up by God to just help people get refocused. And I think that's what we need to, to think about today. Is, you know, ha- have I been my own worst enemy? Many times. Nobody else has, has forced me to do anything bad. It was my choice. I got my, got my focus off of God and onto me. And so may God help us all um, realize that that God wants us to re-engage with him, to make him first place in our lives and all of our choices, all the decision-making that we do. And, uh, and then he can bless. All right? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Uh, wow, what a story. Um, I can't imagine... God, that you looked down and you saw all this stuff going on, and yet we 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 know that at the end of the day you you are in charge. You are God. You are the supreme judge, and you will um, you'll play things out the way that they need to be played out, so that we can see that you are not just God, but you are loving, forgiving. You are merciful, full of grace, God. You have done so much to rescue us um, from the from the forces of evil, but also from ourselves. So, Lord, we we stand here today, sit here. We 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 want to just, I guess, bathe ourselves in the joy of knowing that you love us and forgive us and provide us everything that we need to live the kind of lives that you call us to, so you can be praised and glorified in all things. That's our greatest desire, God. So we love you, we thank you, we bless you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.